millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. All right, welcome everyone to yet another killer, outstanding and amazing episode of our wonderful podcast, Dead Rockstars. I'm here with my dear friend and renowned humanitarian Mick Wall. And today we're going to be talking about the great Sandy Denny, who has been absent from this mortal course since, I want to say, what, 1978, Mick? Something like that? April 1978. April so uh, we're talking exactly 40 years ago. 40 years, man. Right. Which, and, um, you know, as someone who still listens to her, because she's one of those rare artists. Yeah whose music was timeless, even as she was releasing it. It had that timeless quality. It doesn't age. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yes. So, when I was researching our, our project today, I, oh, yeah. I had a look at a few pictures of her. And because she died at the age of 31, what we're left with are the images of these beautiful, wonderful, sort of English apple-cheeked girl, essentially. And what a tragedy, what a loss. She found time in her life to get quite a lot of music recorded, fortunately for the rest of us succumbed, as we'll come to, to the rock and roll lifestyle, I assume, or variants there. Oh, no, definitely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Physically yeah. alcohol, yeah. So one of the points I wanted to make as we cover her life is the influence on what we would call sort of traditional acoustic folk on the hard and heavy metal that we all listen to on a regular basis. Well, Sandy Denny is a great case in point because most of uh, our listeners... Most listeners to music generally, because Sandy nor Fairport Convention or any of the other mm. people she worked with ever had what we would consider a commercial hit. Yeah. So most people still only really know her, that really river deep voice of hers, mm. from uh, the Battle of Evermore, the Led mm. Zeppelin track mm. from Zep 4, mm. the most famous Zep album of all. Mm. And one of their best tracks. It's a wonderful song. He uh, Planty performs it, does he not, with Alison Krauss these days? He's performed it with a lot of different people. I saw yeah. him. We're, we're kind of as usual. We're kind of yeah. jumping about here. Backwards, but, forwards. Yeah. Uh, these days, Fairport Convention every year do the Cropperty Festival. Uh, Robert turned up and did a, a guest appearance at Cropperty a few years back, and. The big number he did that night mm. was Battle of Evermore, mm, mm. but not with Alison Krauss, but, you know, with uh, the various female vocalists yeah. that Fairport have drafted in over the years. But the definitive version is Sandy's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Robert at the time, and has backed this up since, at the time said, as far as he was concerned, 
she was the greatest yeah. female lady singer-songwriter that ever lived wow. from this country. And still the only guest that's appeared on a Zeppelin album, I believe. The only guest ever on a Led Zeppelin album. It's incredible, man. Although, bless her heart, because Sandy, as we'll find out in a minute as we talk about her, you know, was riddled with insecurities, yeah. very low self-esteem, mm-hmm. wore friends out with uh, her constant demands for reassurance mm. and, and neediness. She, at the time... When asked about it, because they both, both Robert and her picked up like, you know, vocalist of the year at the Melody Maker Awards, which were a very big deal in those days yeah. for that one performance. And uh, she said, uh, well, you know, I'm glad you liked it, but, uh, you know, it's not a comfortable experience being outsung by someone. <sighs> So she actually felt that Robert had run rings around her vocally. See, that's interesting. Well, perhaps we'll leave this for a moment, but to me it's always been this incredible sort of first and wing equals things. They're both incredible the way they deliver They're that both song. incredible. Okay, yeah. all right. So let's jump back a little bit then. Born in 1947, she recorded various things before hitting the limelight, right? I mean, she- Well, she had a kind of typical folky... Mm-hmm career in the early to mid 60s yeah. she played a lot around london you know les cousins oh, all yeah. these places where you mm, know mm. but gench and people like that would play mm. david graham all these kind of guys graham, and uh, one of her early boyfriends uh, shared a flat in kensington with um paul simon yeah and year of the cat who was that guy cat steven no, no, no al stewart, al stewart not cat yeah. steven yeah that would be great if cat stevens had done year of the cat <laughs> after himself yeah of course yeah that's absolutely brilliant yeah okay, Stephen cool. cat so uh the folk scene that you're talking about I mean, yeah. that has a grand history in this country right going back oh, to going back to the age of pixies and fairies yeah, and right. hobgoblins and as i recall from my research on the subject and this is really because i worked years ago on record collect and i had to do a massive thing about acoustic folk cecil sharp was the man who went and did all the research in some I mean, like, I don't know, 1920, 1930, that kind of time. Yeah. Uh, researched the previous history of acoustic music, brought it all together as a revival. The, the, the musicians you just spoke about sort of fed off that. Ashley Hutchings of Fairport Convention yeah. was one notably. Yeah. Brought that stuff into the electric era. So Sandy was sort of part of this? She, she was associated with it? She was, and in more ways than the obvious. I mean, she yeah. her own penchant before Fairport was, was something which was unusual at the time, yeah. which was to mix traditional English folk songs like She Moves Through the Fair with covers of Bob Dylan songs. No, Joel, don't do that. Joel is about to eat a pork pie. No, 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 not while we're doing this. Put it down. Listen, this is the sound of a pork pie being put down. Put it down. All he does is guzzle coffee, eat pork pies, and then burp out the side of his mouth when I'm trying to talk. (laughs) This is the glamour of podcasting, people. I tell you what, Sandy would appreciate it because she was extremely down to earth. She was one of the lads... Mm -hmm bit too much one of the lads but it's one of the reasons she got on so well in the 60s what i was trying to say was she would combine a bob dylan song yeah of course bob dylan also robbed the english folk tradition Mm -hmm. in many ways but Mm -hmm. she what was considered contemporary stuff she didn't mind mixing and matching which you know folkies a bit like you know fundamentalist jazzers or fundamentalist metal people they do not like you messing with their genre you know, if Metallica bring in Lou Reed, then they will forever burn in hell. You did, know. That, did that happen? Bob Dylan brings out an electric guitar and he Judas! Is, Judas and Satan! <laughs> um, uh, so Sandy is yeah. singing in a tiny little chip shop somewhere in London and she decides to mix She Moves Through the Fair yeah. or um, Green Fucking Sleeves or something with 
um, a Bob Dylan song or a Joni Mitchell song or something, and it's like, she must burn at the stake, she's a witch! <laughs> or with one finger in their ear. So, yeah, yeah. Dead rock stars. So much love. So much love. The thing is, at the time she joined Fairport Convention, they'd done two albums with Judy Dibble as the female vocalist. Yeah. They had more than one vocalist, but Judy was the female. And um, they weren't a folk rock group. Mm-hmm. They were just another London band. Mm. Taking influences from, I don't know, Jefferson well, Airplane, that kind of thing? The same places everybody yeah, was okay. taking influence. The Beatles, primarily. The Beat Boom. Well, no, just that whole kind of album, as albums became... The Lingua Franca, yeah, yeah. Uh, which they weren't until about 65, 66. Yeah. Like everybody else, that was their touchstone, mm-hmm. much as the Floyd or any other band that mm-hmm. came along at the time. Judy leaves, Sandy comes in, and so the story goes. On those long, boring, sitting-at-the-back-of-the-transit van journeys mm-hmm. to various tiny little gigs around the British Isles, she'd while away the time singing these very old... British, yeah. a lot of them Scottish, Irish, Welsh, folk songs, just to herself, because she really had a repertoire. Yeah. And they became very enamoured of this. Mm. And it, was, it wasn't the very next album. Well, it was actually. But after that, the first album she did with them, what we did on our holidays, yeah. they introduced this. They became very interested in where this tradition goes. Mm. And the other thing was that as Joe Boyd, who managed them briefly and, and co-produced that yeah. album, <clears throat> very famous for his work with Nick Drake, Nick Drake John Martin, mm. an incredible string band, he pointed out that the first band album, you know, the album by yeah. the band, had, had come out and really had a massive impact here. Got people like Eric Clapton flying to yeah. America who thought he was actually going to join the band. <laughs> Rootsy Music was in. There was a whole raft of these amazing folk bands, Mick, right? You know, yeah. Pentangle, Straubs. Absolutely. Steel Eye Span, others that we remember less well now. Mm -hmm. But also, uh, you know, it's the era where you've got people like Led Zeppelin incorporating folk into their sound. Not just through doing uh, American folk, like Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, but Gallows Pole, a 300-year-old folk song, English folk song. You've also got people like Rod Stewart on his... People don't realise this now. They think of the sort Mm. of uh, hot legs... Do you think I'm yeah. sexy, Rod Stewart? But on those first album, couple of albums, yeah. he is a folk minstrel, mm-hmm. in effect. Mm-hmm. Dobro, mandolin, all kinds of uh, very uh, rootsy stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, beautiful folk, music. It, absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. And folk really was in the same way that you know, country and blues, but particularly, I think, resonant in this country, really, really yeah. was seeping like blood through a bandage, you know, into the rock idiom. Beautiful. But in terms of Fairport, and this is via Sandy's massive influence, they decided, well, no, we're not going to try and emulate the music of the Deep South or Mississippi or we'll look at the English heritage. Mm, mm -hmm. So Fairport suddenly, it's not even, you know, we call it folk rock now, but through Sandy's direct influence, mm. we're talking about rock music, but with a completely different lineage to that kind of blues rock, yeah. country rock, or roots Americana that was influencing everything else. So are we saying that the albums that Sandy recorded with Fairport were the first sort of manifestations of folk rock in Britain? Uh, somewhat. I mean, I think you've it's got arguable, to... It? Arguable, because mm. there's the incredible string band... Yeah. String-driven thing, mm. John Martin, 
Nick Drake, you know, also, you know, here's a folky sitting on a stool playing an acoustic who, through the wonders of production. Davy Graham, I mean, he was in John Mayall's band, which I only found out when I was recently writing John Mayall's autobiography. Well, well Mike, let's get some plugs in for your books while we're here. Ch- do check my website. Uh, uh, no, uh, the point I'm making about Davy Graham is that's an astounding fact because he was such a folky and yet obviously a bluser as well. Well, Davy Graham was more than that, though, wasn't he? Oh, I mean, much more. Right, I mean, he was a pioneer in 800 ways. You know what the dadgad tuning is? I do, but yeah. explain for those that Well, don't. normally your guitar tuning is E-A-D-G-B-E, right? Thicker strings Every to, to good... No, that's, that's, that's the treble cleft, but, oh. but I see where you're headed. Yeah, I have no that. idea. No, but I, about, you yeah. clearly retained your music learning from... Oh, yes. Anyway, yes. look, so dadgad, D-A-D-G-A-D, is where you detune three of the strings a tone, so they go down to D. So what you've therefore got of your six strings is they go three of them are droning on a D, so you get that wonderful droney, sitari sort of sound. Gotcha. That's Davy Graham's innovation, and it's been subsequently copied by everyone, right? Which, in that lineage, goes all the way through to Jimmy Page. Right, totally, right? So there you go. And in fact, that's the classic example. Pagey jumping on old, old acoustic traditional music, right, and, and infusing that into Zeppelin. Oh, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Are you saying Jimmy Page <laughs> absorbed... <laughs> Influences. <laughs> master, at least a Crowley. Was he into folk music? <laughs> David Graham. I interviewed him once. Poor bloke. It was Did a, you? Yeah, just as a quick anecdote. It was only a few months before he died, and it was for a guitar magazine. And after five minutes, I was mid- midway through a question. He said, um, I, I, I think that's it. I, I'm sorry? And he said, yeah, that's it. Bye. And the phone went... <coughs> I was like, oh, oh, well, well oh, there you go. The point of this, well, I don't know what the you, point you, of that is. The point it, is you bored Davy Graham. <laughs> No, you were he, talking to him about triplets he, he was, and D-A-D-G, <laughs> and he's going, what dad the God. fuck? I don't even know what I was doing. He I was, was drunk that day. i tell you what, he was probably sick of talking about Dadgad. Oh, but, can um, you imagine? I'm, I'm sick of it on his only behalf. Been 30 yeah. seconds, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I've been hearing about this for uh, years. Yeah, yeah. Dadgad. It's I mean, an amazing thing. Any guitarist yeah. out there who happen to have a six-string nearby, tune to Dadgad, you're going to love it. It makes you sound brilliant, like an old folk. You'll end up with no friends, but by all means, try it. But your guitar will love you. So, Sandy, Fairport Convention. Comes into Fairport Convention. They do this album, what we did on our holidays, which is very much kind of a hybrid between mm. the, uh, the original Fairport of Judy Dibble and what they were about to become in a big way with their very yep. next album called Unhalf Bricking. Unhalf Bricking, with Sandy's parents on the cover. A picture of her parents on the cover sitting outside... Uh, the house they used to live in. But if you look at that cover closely, you'll mm. see in the background, in the garden, mm. various members of Fairport lounging around yeah. underneath a big, uh, not a willow tree, a birch tree. Yes. I know that. Um, <laughs> so Unhalf Bricking, you know, really gets a lot of attention. Yep. Sandy mm. writes some amazing songs. She's already written uh, Who Knows Where the Time Goes. That mm. was actually the second song she ever wrote. When she was 19. It's incredible, man. Subsequently um, covered by Nina Simone, among other people. And many others. God, I mean, it's that's a, mad, isn't it? Imagine that. I mean, I hate using rock analogies all the time, but, mm-hmm. you know, for Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water, yeah. you know, it was one of those. Beatles let it be. Yeah. Many Beatles, but let it be. So. Sure. They love Sandy. She has this incredible voice, mm. incredible charisma. Simon Nickel, uh, one of the two guitarists in Fairport, yeah. one of the founders, the founder, really, mm-hmm. um, used to say you could always tell who had the charisma in the group mm. because everybody in the audience would only be looking at her. And this wow. was a group with Richard Thompson on guitar. One of the, the most underrated guitar players in a world of shredders. Yeah. The, man, the man is insanely talented. Insanely talented. Yeah. I mean, they had that other thing where they would take a, a wonderful, and this was one of Sandy's great suggestions, 
where they do early on in their kind of in their sort of formative are we folk are we rock are we something else yeah they take a very old traditional folk song like a sailor's life and do it all in one take by the way yeah and it lasts 11 minutes 11 seconds beautiful and it it is somewhere if you're listening to pink floyd if you're listening to led zeppelin if you're listening yeah. to yes you know, suddenly this is the same musical terrain. Yeah. It's not prog, it's not heavy metal or straight folk. It's something else. And that's what that era was about, was looking for the yeah. something else. And the freedom from rules, the freedom from parameters. Absolutely, because yeah. there wasn't any, yeah. there was no commercial burden well, in that respect. you do that nowadays, you think? I think people do. Yeah. But, you know, it's a much bigger world. We've got a million different ways of in entertaining ourselves back in the early 70s you couldn't even find a pub open on sundays in in most parts of britain certainly wouldn't find a shop open tv ended at 11 you know and most of it was shite anyway on the two channels you got <laughs> trust me i was there yeah. you know you'd you'd be around someone's house and you'd be flicking through their album collection and that would be your sole point of entertainment because there'd be nothing on the telly nothing on the radio you could go down the pub and sit next to Albert Tatlock and smoke a pipe. <laughs> or you could sit at home and roll a joint or drink homebrew <laughs> and go, shit, what's this? Legion mm, Leaf. Mm, mm, wow, mm. never heard anything like that before. Mm. But then we have this appalling incident in 1969 yep, where yep. they have this crash. Yeah. In the band van, really. Was mm. it a bus or a van? It was a, more or a van, wasn't I, it? I guess, yeah. But she wasn't on the van. She'd actually gone home with her newfound mm. boyfriend, mm. Trevor Lucas. Yeah, the Australian. The Australian musician who comes into our story a lot shortly. But uh, she used to sit next to Richard Thompson on the bus yeah. stroke van and was convinced that if she hadn't taken that lift home with Trevor that night, She'd have been killed. God. They lost their drummer. He died. Martin. And uh, Thompson's girlfriend. Thompson's girlfriend died, yeah. I mean, it really was a, a, an appalling time and, mm. and mm. almost ended in the band breaking up. We've uh, had this conversation before, haven't we? We have. We have. Mm. Although in their case, they weren't poised for megastardom. They were simply poised for more gigs in a van. They did occupy an interesting position throughout their career, didn't they? That Cropperty Festival, which I've been to a couple of times, that is a remarkable... Efficient cottage industry working hard. You know, I speak to those people every year for various reasons. And um, they never became A-listers. But in that world, they are A-listers, right? I mean, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, on, in their universe, they are God. Mm, mm. So um, what was the outcome? Oh, sorry, what was the consequence of the, the crime? Well, they, um, at this point, Ian Matthews mm. leaves. Mm. Dave Swarbrick, the... Uh, 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 Bass player. Yeah. No, violin. Violin, violin yeah. Fiddle, yeah. violin and crazy personality. I mean, mm -hmm. him and Sandy were the two kind of big, big personalities in the group. Were they he, fire and ice when everyone they else was warm water? Well, they were like fire and fire. That, that's what they were like. <laughs> they really were. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and so he comes to play on the album, but he doesn't join until after this terrible accident, at which point they all kind of used it as an opportunity to rethink where they were going. Yeah. And that was when they really went, we're going down the English folk lineage yeah. in a rock context yeah. and Sandy is our main singer and they do this remarkable album Legion Leaf Legion Leaf 
and that's where their profile really mm. hits the mainstream. What was it about that record then that people loved? I just think it was brilliantly accessible. You've, you've mm. got Richard Thompson, Funny, you know, and for, you've got for me. Sorry to bane. I was always I have a little memory of being a kid and hearing "Come All Ye" with that crazy chorus, which just so infectious. And yet so old-sounding. It sounds like it came from 1863 on some remote Scottish island. Beautiful song. Some of it probably did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is, for them, this is like their Led Zeppelin 4. You know, this is the moment where it all clicks into place. Mm -hmm. It has a stunning critical reaction. It was one of those. Landmark recording. Absolutely. Mm. It's the closest they come to a hit. You know, Mm. it kind of creeps into the lower echelons of the British chart, which in those days meant they probably sold more records than you do now for going to number one. Yeah, the entire chart combined. Probably. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. but it's the critical bump they get at this point. You know, suddenly they're on the cover of the NME and the Melody Maker and things like that. It's amazing for, a, I don't want to say a retrogressive band, but a band that, that had its sights fixed on the past as well as the future, right? That's that's an unusual thing. It is, I but think. then, but mm. no, absolutely, uh, but then don't forget the context. Sure. You know, in the early 70s, the maps were still being drawn, mm. the, the rules mm. weren't written yet. Mm. So you've got Pink Floyd, haven't made Dark Side of the Moon yet. They're still doing Umma Gumma. <laughs> you know, you've still got David Bowie being a hippie minstrel and entering the Maltese song contest. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> these are days when bands don't even last more than two or three mm. albums. Kind of makes me think that today's fairly crap in comparison. Well, I, I can assure you at this point, today is shit by comparison. <laughs> I'm right in that regard. You're absolutely right. Oh, um, dear. But here's what happens, and this does speak to those days, where these days, you know, you mentioned in passing Metallica, mm. You know, they were on the cusp of multi-platinum, mm. squillion-selling mega... It's only two years away from Glenn Hughes joining Deep Purple. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think we got that, listeners. Shut the fuck up about <laughs> Glenn Hughes. And uh, here's the point I'm trying to make. As ever, you're stalling me on this. That's what um, I do. At this point, the critical impact is so vast. America comes in. Yeah. America, who've had zero interest in this kind of thing, let alone this fiddly diddle doe, come in and go, shit, you know, we've had Pink Floyd, we've had Yes, this is something of that ilk. It's really deeply mystical to us and interesting, plus all the critics love it. Why don't we do a major tour, mm. get you happening over here? And the offers were coming in money, publishing, tours. Mm, yeah. And unlike Metallica, who had their tragic moment, but buckled down and carried on Mm. they're now part of the conversation you know she's done that led zeppelin track fairport are being offered tours of america Mm. they're being offered opportunities to take that step up to be a major inverted commas rock band at which point sandy denny leaves millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. Why did you leave? Um, well, there are lots of theories over why she left. The main one is that she, by this time, was living with Trevor Lucas. Of course who was himself a very charismatic guy from Australia, a great musician, was also a furniture builder and mm. apparently a gourmet cook. Mm. Right. And he's actually kind of provided a wonderful home for them where not only is he this big, strong, you know, mm. masculine mm. figure that she feels safe with, but, you know, the man builds furniture. He's a, ma- he's a proper man of the <laughs> soil. Man's man. He yeah, builds yeah. furniture and he cooks exquisite meals. Mm. She's also utterly paranoid. She's convinced that when he goes on the road with his own tours that he's sleeping with loads of different women, which he probably yeah. is. So is this the first time that perhaps mental demons emerge in Sandy's story? Mm. Uh, well, well n- yes and no. This is the first time it impacts on her career. Yeah. I mean, she also, there's an argument as well to say that she was terrified of Fairport actually doing that next thing Mm, because it would mm. have meant that, like all these other bands in those days, they'd have been on tour for the next year. Yeah. And that effectively, in those days, a year doesn't seem like much in a band's career these days, but a year was like a decade back then. Yeah. And to be away... There's no mobile. There's no Skype. There's even the phone calls are like yeah. phoning someone on the moon with an eight second delay. You know, mm-hmm. you're gone. And when you're gone, out of sight, out of mind, love the one you're with. You know, that's the days we're living in. Yeah. So she knew her relationship with Trevor wouldn't last that, mm-hmm. and it seemed to be that was more important to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are the theories that have been expounded since yeah. she died. The fact is, she went on to form her own group called Fothering Gay which was one of the earliest songs she'd sung. Mm -hmm. Trevor becomes part of that group. And again, the theory goes that that suited her down to the ground because at least now when she's touring, Trevor's there. And when Trevor's touring, she's there. Mm -hmm. But Fotheringay don't last very long. You know, Mm -hmm. they do one album and then they split up while they're trying to make the second one. Yeah. All through this, Joe Boyd is trying to persuade her to have a solo career. Mm -hmm. Sandy, this is where you need to go. Look at Judy Collins. Look at Joni Mitchell. You know, look at Carole King, you know, who's amazing success in the early 70s as a a very serious singer-songwriter. Look Mm. at all these incredible women that have had uh, remarkable or having remarkable careers. This could be you. You're a better singer than any of them. And you write great songs. Mm -hmm. But she, you know, as we mentioned earlier, she was deeply insecure, very low self-esteem. And since her father died... 
uh, in 2000. Her mother had died some time before that. Yeah. But since her father died, a lot of stories have come out about the terrible relationship Sandy had with her mother. Mm. She adored her father, was terrified of her mother, and apparently her mother, you know, was always very disparaging about her looks, her size, because she was a, um, I don't know what the appropriate post-Me Too term is, but... Just curvy? I don't know. No, she was heavy. You yeah, know, she. she right, I mean, okay. I mean, I, I mean, even these. I was going to say at a time, but it's the same now. Sure. If women aren't a size six or whatever it is, mm. they get lambasted Pillary, from all corners. Yeah. So cut back to nearly fifty years ago, and imagine what it was like being sure. a young a young sure. woman who is quite overweight mm. and if, somebody who had to get up and perform in front of people as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that would mess with your confidence. Absolutely. And you, you can't help but wonder if that didn't feed into the fact that by this point she's also drinking very heavily. She mm. really is one of the boys. She can drink the men under the table. She's raucous. Yeah. But they used to hide the brandy from her. Crikey. Because brandy would turn her mm. nasty. Mm. In fact, she got a nickname in the London clubs, Sandy on the Brandy. Oh. You go, what happened? They go, Sandy, on the, Sandy on the Brandy. Although at the speakeasy, the maitre d' there used to keep a special bottle of brandy behind the counter, (laughs) especially for when she showed up. Mm -hmm. So she's this complicated, like all great artists, complicated mess of insecurities, talent, issues, Mm -hmm. at a time when, as I say, the the roadmap to success had not been drawn. And she's having to muddle her way through. Plus, she's crazy in love with Trevor Lucas, and also, there, you know, there wasn't a great huge deal of encouragement for her as a woman artist to, yeah, yeah. you know, if she did decide to just throw it all in, no one was going to stop her. Mm. So Fothering Gay didn't really work out and the Fairports reformed with three members of Fothering Gay. Well, they did. I mean, there was a gap where she finally does do mm. a solo album. Um, but eventually, yes, to, to cut to the chase there is a a reconciliation reformation and um, they play in America they play all over the place but they make an album where they bring in Glyn Johns who produced Zeppelin The Stones this was this was meant to be yeah absolutely Mm. this was meant to be the one Mm. it's kind of do or die yeah and they make an album called Rising for the Moon. It's done at Olympic Studios. Afterwards, a lot of them complained that they didn't really have the material together. We should also mention that Richard Thompson, by this point, had left the group to begin a great career with his wife, Linda Thompson. Of course. It goes on to great success mm-hmm. with Linda, mm-hmm. and then as a solo artist. Losing Richard was a blow. Yeah. You know, in terms of music, he was this extraordinary, is this extraordinary talent, brilliant guitar player. But they've got Dave Swarbrick, they've brought in other people, they're still forging yeah. forward. Yeah. But they make this album that's meant to be the one that really breaks through to the, the rock audience. But it doesn't. It turns into a dreadful commercial failure. <laughs> It comes at a time in 76 when all the music papers are becoming besotted with punk. Exactly the wrong kind of music, commercially. Exactly the wrong kind of music, (laughs) uh, no matter how adventurous or progressive. I mean, they they all congratulated Glyn Johns, apparently. They did it all in two sessions. They said he just pulled rabbits out of the hat. He made a great piece of work. The others Mm -hmm. didn't really know Mm -hmm. what they were doing. But it fails, and the music biz moves on, and again, she Mm -hmm. leaves. Mm She did three, I think, uh, solo albums. So her final solo album, Rendezvous, uh, comes out in the summer of 1977. 
She became a mother this year to her daughter, Georgia, she, as well. She did. She did. But she still makes a great record with yeah. Rendezvous. I mean, it's got a... There's a Richard uh, Thompson song on it, I Wish I Was a Fool for You. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a return to form in some ways. Yep. And then in other ways... It's horrible because she also does things like a version of Candle in the Wind. (laughs) So so you've got this real uh, complete loss of faith, loss of direction. Okay, you're not the Sex Pistols. What the hell are we going to do with you? You've got this great voice. Richard Thompson's written this amazing song. But do you know what would be a great single (laughs) would be if you did a version of Candle in the Wind? Everyone loves that song. Yeah. I know. And she did do a very nice version of it and it flopped like a big fat floppy thing. Like a thing. floppy thing, yeah. And at this point, her personal life kind of goes downhill. She's boozing a lot. Her and uh, Trevor have moved out to a little village in Oxfordshire. Yeah. Cropperty. Oh, yeah. In fact, they end up, I think, living in Byford, somewhere nearby. Mm-hmm. But other Fairport types start emigrating out to Oxfordshire <laughs> and around that part as well, which is a beautiful... I live yeah, in Oxfordshire myself, yeah, yeah. and it is gorgeous. And those were the roots of what are now mm. the Cropperty Festival. They used mm. to play in a pub, mm. and then it was on the local village green, and then it grew and grew. Yeah. But they're living this kind of so-called rural idyll with, you, as you say, their baby. I mean, yeah. the baby was uh, was born in the uh, summer of 77. Mm. But Sandy and Trevor are fighting. Most of the local villagers start giving her a wide berth because mm. she's pretty much drunk all the time. There are stories of when Trevor's away touring, the baby being left outside the pub while yeah. she was in it. God. There are stories of uh, villagers calling police or calling for help when they find the baby screaming in a locked car. Jesus. And Trevor plots his escape. Mm. Doesn't tell anyone, but essentially plots an escape back to Australia, to his parents' place, takes the baby with him, and... It's just this awful, awful moment where Sandy... There's no letter either saying what he's done because he needed time to get to the airport and, Mm. you know... He won't tell her where he is. He won't tell anybody where he is. And those he does tell, he gets them to swear they won't tell Sandy. So he goes, takes the baby, nine months old, Mm. and she finds out... There are some wonderful books about Sandy and the actual days and dates are in there. But from memory, I think it was like a Friday night or something she finds out. A good friend of hers, Miranda, comes over and spends the weekend with her, tries to track down Trevor unsuccessfully. And then Miranda's a teacher and uh, on Monday morning she goes off to school to work and she asks a friend of hers, another musician, John Cole, to uh, look in on her friend. Yes. John does look in, nearly doesn't, and changes his mind. As he as he comes into the house, he notices on the first floor, mm. there were two flights of stairs on yep. the first floor. Yep. Here is this woman, still breathing, but unconscious. Yeah. Calls an ambulance. She's taken to the John Radcliffe in yeah. Oxford. Mm-hmm. She's in a coma. And she then gets transferred to the serious brain injury hospital. They try and save her. It all goes horribly wrong, and she dies. Trevor Lucas, they they were begging him to come back, and he wasn't having it. Eventually did come back, was ostracised by all the other members of Fairport and Copperty community. Fairly or unfairly, I mean, Mm, you know, mm. as dads ourselves, you know, I'm not saying he he was right with what he did, 
but clearly concern over the baby was paramount. You know, that's the, the argument point, isn't it? You know, what would have been better for the daughter? There was, we haven't really mentioned, I believe, she's alleged to have had a history of throwing herself downstairs, injuring herself in a sort of a dramatic way. Yeah, or just generally falling over. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, um, I think uh, Simon Nicholl or someone said, you know, if there were more than three steps, she would fall over them. Mm, OK. Now, whether that was partly through the booze or... I mean, she was very clumsy. Yeah. She was always going, bugger me, I'm a clumsy cow right, and all this right. kind of stuff. You know, she'd knock microphones over on stage. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. Again, I, I see this as perhaps part of her malaise, you know. Yeah. This incredible voice which gets her through everything, but the rest of it is such a chaotic kind of mess. And people forget, but in the 60s and 70s, going to a therapy session or a yeah. counsellor or yeah. a rehab or... Yeah. Those things just weren't available. Mm, mm. I mean, you'd go to the doctor and he'd give you a big bottle of Valium, <laughs> you know, and then you'd knock that back with a few gins and you're even worse than you were to begin with. You know, It was so, really the 80s when therapy started to become available. Yeah, right, yeah. OK. So literally just a few days, within a few days of Trevor and the baby leaving, yeah. tragically she dies and, and we end up losing one of the most extraordinary God, yeah. musical artists, male or female. Mm, you know, death that, was a real misadventure, I think. Pretty much the only thing they could come up with, given the circumstances, I suppose. That was the coroner's result. Mm. And I'm mm. always in two minds about these things, because yeah. I know coroner's results are fairly perfunctory. Well, we talked about this with uh, Bon Scott. Yeah. Bon Scott, mm-hmm. absolutely. And we mentioned the coroner with John Bon. In fact, in, yeah. in this series yeah. where we're talking about dead people, the, the coroner <laughs> is bound to come up a fair bit when it comes to rock and roll yeah. death. macabre, isn't it, really? Um, but, yeah. you know, the coroner, I think we have this idea that they conduct this thorough... right. This thorough and comprehensive... No, they don't. They go, oh, yeah, OK. It's because we've seen it on TV, haven't she, we? She fell, down, she fell down the stairs drunk. OK. Yeah, right. In fact, again, this came out years later. A lot of the stories about her relationship with her mother were concealed out of respect for her father. Yeah, sure. Who loved her. Didn't mm. recognise the story of the wild woman he, he read about. Yeah. He'd always remembered her as the curly-haired child. Oh, that's awful, isn't it? But there is a story that emerged in a couple of weeks before she's found at the top of the stairs and taken to hospital, she had fallen down very badly at her mother's house. And, I mean, her mother was one of those people who really cared what the neighbours thought. It was always about appearance, what do people think. Mm. She didn't like it that her daughter was fat Mm. and drinking Mm. and it just did not conform to her ideas of of what a a wonderful daughter was. Right, right. And apparently she had a very nasty fall, hit her head on a flagstone at the bottom yeah, and was complaining about terrible head pain for the rest of the day and her mother wouldn't take her to the hospital because she was ashamed to turn up with a drunk, oh. overweight daughter. Mm-hmm. And subsequently there have been lots of theories along the lines of, you know, perhaps if her mother had taken her, they would have dealt with yeah. that head injury. Yeah. And so two weeks later she wouldn't have got the clot or okay. wouldn't have... Okay. You know, the truth is no one really knows. No, but, no. you know, Sandy was a... Uh, you can hear it in her voice, you know, the the tragedy, the sadness, yeah. the haunting quality. Incredibly emotive voice. But also that wonderfully boisterous, mm. joyful, mm. when it's allowed, free reign. Yeah, yeah. That life force coming through, you know. It's interesting. We'll finish off shortly, but my view of folk rock is... I spend a lot of time in print when I write about the stuff trying to defend folk rock's image. You know, people talk about uh, Aaron sweaters, you know, one finger in the air and all that stuff, which was funny briefly in about the 80s. And now it's really not because we're talking about a giant heritage 
a huge heritage, actually, which will outlive us all. Well, well, we have the Cambridge Folk Festival, we have the Radio 2 we Folk do. Awards. I mean, it's a big... We have acoustic artists like Mumford & Sons, whatever you think of them, and fucking Ed Sheeran, I don't know, people who, troubadours who stand up with an acoustic guitar, they are the modern manifestation of that lineage. They whatever are. you may think of it. There is a rootsier, a very good rootsier mm. uh, folk scene in this country. Yeah. Um, very glad to hear it. And you've only got to listen to the weekly Radio 2 folk show with mm. Mark Radcliffe. Mm. There's a plug to see the depth yeah, of yeah. The, the whole scene in this country, which is really thriving. Yeah, I think it's alive and well. I was going to say, there was a magazine <laughs> until fairly recently called Acoustic that used to cover all this stuff relentlessly. And I, I interviewed tons of these people for that magazine. Did a big um, Joe Boyd thing because we were talking about Nick Drake. David Graham I mentioned earlier and so on. John Rimborn, you know, all these amazing people who plied their trade if plied is worth... I tell you what, though, I do wonder, I do wonder how much of this modern scene, though, is comparable because what Fairport Convention was doing, what Sandy did on her solo albums, the good ones, wasn't entirely about maintaining a folk tradition. It was about refreshing it, bringing it it into the contemporary age. What would it sound like with electric guitars? Mm, What would it sound like if it was made by idealistic, crazed-out, psychedelic hippies? Whereas uh, Kate Rusby, for instance, who's a wonderful singer, yeah. a huge figure in the contemporary folk scene, love her voice. Mm. Mm. But I don't hear anything particularly progressive or experimental right. or shocking. I always come to the example of Billy Bragg, who right. uh, is a folk protest singer, but he uses an electric guitar. And that right. was a deliberate move on his part because uh, he'd well, want he didn't want to use protest. Yeah, yeah, but it's, punk again, folk. it's all part of the thing. Yeah, Poke, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Or Puck. So, look, we, as we come to the end of this episode, we do what we always do, which is that we assign marks out of five stars for various criteria for the subject at hand. And in a way, they all seem to come down to me, to how much potential was cut off, you know. And well, that's the thing about death, Joel. It has a way of cutting things off. But there is a certain tragic element, is there not? When they there's die, decades of life up. still to go. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. And she was 31, man, no age. Clearly had a lot of potential, some great music left in her. Oh, God. You know, it's, it's, it's a given, isn't had it? Had barely scratched the surface. Had she got over those problems that she had, who knows what she would have been doing now. Well, you know, great artists, they're not here to be rounded, personable figures. Yeah. They're here to bring us like great us. art. Yeah. Great art. And that comes at a cost. All right. You know, I mean, you talk yeah. about Lou Reed. Yeah. You know, was he a nice man? No. Mm. Was he a great artist? Absolutely. All oh, right. And, yeah. and, and what do we care whether he's a... There are many nice men... But I don't put on their bloody records or think about them or read about them. I want geniuses. I want great artists. This is what we want to enrich our lives. And Sandy definitely was one of those. Brilliant. So Mark's out of five for star quality. Star quality. What you mean as in fame and... So imagine Prince running out on stage. I'm Prince. Look at me. That's five out of five. So Sandy Denny? I don't know if the Prince thing is a... No, no. I, I would say imagine Bob Dylan or Freddie. something like that. No, no, we're not going to imagine Freddie. No, I meant clearly Freddie no Fre- one's going to be five yeah. stars compared to Freddie. All right, all right. No, star quality, I'm going to give her three. Three. Good. What about taste for excess, Mick? Well, um, yeah, she wasn't a heroin user as far as we know or anything like that, was she? I think it was mainly booze and dope, mm. um, probably some psychedelics. I'm sure she had a sniff here and there. <laughs> it was the 70s. <laughs> taste for excess. What, more so than the other male musicians she was playing with? I don't think so. I think Uh, it was par for the course. Okay, mate. Okay, that's fine. Influence as a singer, musician, songwriter, composer, performer? I think a very big influence. The irony is, is we live in a world, 
utterly dominated by female artists now. How many are influenced by Sandy Denny is a minuscule amount, sure. but a significant amount. So as we mentioned, you know, the thriving folk scene there is in this country yeah. owes huge debt to her and Fairport. So I would say, what, out of five... I would say in folk terms, five. Mm. In mainstream terms, because folk will never be mainstream, no. three. All right. That is the way to contextualise it. Mick, what about death as a career move? <sighs> oh. Now, this is really tricky because she wasn't tremendously famous no. in her life, nor was Nick Drake. I mean, Nick Drake, death as a career move certainly seems to have worked. Sandy, I think there is an element of that. I think uh, you can't help but when someone so talented dies yes. so young, so tragically. Yes. And needlessly. Uh, you know. And needlessly mm. to see that, you know, the, the books that have come out about her, the documentaries, yeah. the compilations. I'm going to say three yeah. because she would have gone on and done really, really good stuff. Yeah, and very much part of the conversation all these years later. But the legend certainly can be attributed a great deal to the fact that she died so young. Okay, wonderful. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. That has been Dead Rockstars, and we will be back next week. So how on earth do we get from Sandy Denny to our next Dead Rockstar? Well, while Sandy was wide-ranging in her collaborations, our next Dead Rockstar stayed true to his one band. You may well have met Sandy Denny on the ledge. You might well have met our next Dead Rockstar on a plane. In first class? Always. Okay. And while Sandy favoured the banks of the Nile, our next dead rock star might well be on the muddy banks of the Wishkar. Both enjoyed notoriously tumultuous relationships with their spouses. Uh, I'm John McIver. My friend Mick Walls says goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. This has been another 7 Digital production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.